Romans 8. I'm continuing the series on the Holy Spirit. And this evening we come to Adoption and Assurance. Aneemang in Siakarait. Adoption and Assurance. And God willing, next Sunday evening will be the last uh, for the year. Because that will be the last evening service for the year. And I'll preach on sealing. How the Holy Spirit, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So tonight, Adoption and Assurance, Romans 8, verse 14 to 17. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come before your throne, the throne of grace open to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you teach us to pray, that you guide us in prayer, and that we can pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his death, and life, his intercession for us on the cross, or at the throne and his death on the cross. Father, that you accept our prayers through Jesus. And please hear our prayer to speak with us this evening. All that the Father has given to the Son, that the Holy Spirit will speak to us no more and no less. You are in perfect accord, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We give you all the praise and glory. Open our ears and not merely speak, but move upon our hearts and change them to be like the heart of Jesus. Amen. So when we talk about adoption, you mustn't think of adoption as we know it today, when we talk about parents adopting children. In the first century, the whole picture of adoption, if a Roman father, for instance, he would adopt a child... When he adopts that child, it's for a very specific purpose of having someone who will carry on the family name and someone who can inherit the estate. So it's not only adopting because you can't have children. This is adopting and to such an extent that the relationship between a f the adoptive father and the adopted son, very often it's closer than the relationship between the biological father and the biological son. He's adopted this child for, the, for, a, for this specific purpose. It's a very great honor to be adopted. And so in the Christian life, have that picture in mind. This is probably the greatest privilege of the Christian life, is this privilege of being adopted. God could merely have said that your sins are forgiven through my son Jesus. I'm the judge. You're the criminal. I forgive all your offenses because someone has paid the fine for you. You are free to leave. Thank you very much. Leave my presence now. He didn't do that. He went a step further and said, I adopt you into my family. I accept you as my own son. I love you with the very same love with which I love my son, Jesus Christ. And that we read in John 17 at the end, close to the end. And this is what we find in Romans 8. So let us read Romans 8, verse 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, four ministries of the Spirit in these verses, and they actually all support the teaching I'm going to give you tonight. The first one is leading, the leading of the Spirit. That's in verse 14. Now, I have found in street evangelism at least once, maybe twice, the standard, stock standard answer I get when I ask people, are you going to heaven? Yes, that's standard. And then why are you going to heaven? And a very common answer is because I pray or I don't do bad things. But I've found this answer twice. Are you going to heaven? Yes. So you're a child of God? Yes. How do you know that? Because the Holy Spirit talks to me. He leads me. I cannot do anything without Him. How do you know the Holy Spirit is leading you? 
says who? Is that just something you thought up? Is it truly so? How do you know, verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God? How do you know you're a child of God, you're a son of God, and the Spirit's truly in you and leading you? It's not enough for you to say, oh, the Holy Spirit tells me whom I should marry. The Holy Spirit told me where I must work. The Holy Spirit told me I must move to this city or to that city and live there and start this business. The Holy Spirit told me what vocation to choose. I should study uh, medicine, uh, or I should be an engineer, or I should be a teacher. Why is it not enough? Because the devil can so easily deceive you. Satan can come as an angel of light. We read in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14. False teachers can come. And false teachers can bring you the teachings of demons and they're very convincing. It might sound like the truth, but it's not. It might sound like the Holy Spirit, but it's not. And then your heart is deceitful. Your own heart deceives you, thinking this might be the Holy Spirit when it's not the Holy Spirit. So how do you know it's really the Spirit leading you? Well, when verse 14, when Paul says those who are led by the Spirit, he's actually not talking about being led by the Spirit in your decision making. If you just read the previous verse, you'll see what he's leading you in. Verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the Holy Spirit leads you to live a holy life. The Holy Spirit leads you to kill sin. The Holy Spirit leads you to repent. The Holy Spirit leads you to live a righteous life, an obedient life, obedient to God. The Holy Spirit leads you in verse 4 to 6, six to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, to set your mind on the Scriptures, on the Word of God, and not the, the mindset on sinful desires, but holy desires, desires of obedience and truth, desires of righteousness. And if the Holy Spirit leads you like that, then, verse 14, then you know you're a son of God, you're a child of God. Second word, second ministry of the Spirit is adoption. Now that's in verse 15. I've read that already. So before you are converted, before you get saved, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit shuts your mouth. If you want to say, but I'm innocent, I'm not so bad. The Holy Spirit, yes. What about your lying? What about you stole from your parents? What about your dis disrespect for your parents? What about your selfishness and your pride? What about your jealousy and your lust? And so the Holy Spirit shuts your mouth by bringing the law to bear upon you. The law as an accuser in Romans 3, 19 and 20. And the Holy Spirit tells you you're a slave of sin. Have you tried to be free from your sin? Then why are you not, why are you not free yet? You're a slave to sin. John 8 verse 34. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The Holy Spirit cuts into your heart under the preaching of the gospel and He exposes your heart and He shows you, you are a rebel. You are disobedient to Christ. You do not love Christ. Even if you tell people you're a Christian, you are disobedient. And so you cut to the heart. And so when you cut to the heart, He shows you you are under the judgment of God and He brings a fear upon you. A real fear strikes into your heart and you know you will have to face God on judgment day. And so what shall I do now? What shall I do? I'm lost. And then he shows you the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. And he shows you if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And he shows you you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So you see verse 15. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You did have that spirit. And by the way, it shouldn't be translated with a small letter S. That must be a capital S. John Bunyan makes a very good case for it, and so does Martin Lloyd-Jones. That is the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of bondage, of slavery, to bring you to fear, to show your sin, to say, I'm under the judgment of God. And then once He's saved you, once you've called out for mercy to Christ, He showed you the glory of beauty and and the salvation in Jesus. Then he comes as the spirit of adoption. Second part of verse 15. Now you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. And then the Holy Spirit never again comes as the spirit of slavery, the spirit of bondage. Never again. 
He will not again come and strike fear into your heart to say judgment is coming because it's not coming for you. Because you've been set free. We see that in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So now he's the spirit of adoption. First part of verse 15, you did not receive that spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You don't go back there. 1 John 4 verse 18 says to us that perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love. Fear has to do with punishment, with judgment. Whoever fears hasn't been perfected in love. You are not on your way to judgment. You're on your way to a prize giving to be rewarded if you belong to Jesus. So you do not need to fear, and it's not the Holy Spirit who makes you fear. Now, some people might tell me tonight, I've had verse 15a, the first part of verse 15, after salvation. I've received the spirit of adoption. I am a child of God. But I've fallen back into that where the Holy Spirit strikes fear into my heart and warns me of judgment to come. It's not the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because verse 15 says that. You haven't received that spirit to fall back into fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Does Jesus say to you, yes, yes, and in the same breath, no, no. He doesn't say yes and no in one breath. He has already told you, yes, you are my child. So it's definitely not the Holy Spirit who's striking fear into your heart and warning you of judgment to come. If you've, if you've already been saved, what does the Holy Spirit do? Look at verse 16. This is what He does. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit tells you that He will work all things together for your good. He's praying for you. And He's praying that God will work all things for your good. And He's told you that you've been chosen, you've been predestined to be changed into the image of Jesus, to become more like Christ. You've been called, justified, you will be glorified. He has told you that God is for you who can be against you. He has told you and He keeps on telling you if God did not spare His own Son but gave Jesus to die for us, He gave Him up as a sacrifice, how will He not with Him also give us all things? He has told you no one can bring a charge against you in God's court because you've been justified. He has told you nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's what the Spirit does. So why do some believers doubt? Why do some Christians doubt and they fall back into fear? And they're all afraid and saying, what if God judges me and I don't make it in the end? Who is it that does that? It's another spirit. The spirit of the devil. The spirit of the devil who comes and he strikes fear into your heart. And the Holy Spirit tells you, I am the spirit of adoption. You've been adopted. You're a child of God. God is your father. And you cry out, Abba, Father. And he tells you in verse 16, he bears witness with your spirit or to your spirit that you are a child of God. And the Holy Spirit fixes your attention on Jesus to say, look to Christ. Look to Christ. And the Holy Spirit tells you, if you confess your sins, you're forgiven. And have you come to God? Have you called upon Him as your Savior? Your sins are wiped out. They're removed from you as far as the east is from the west. God will remember your sins no more. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But then the spirit of the devil comes and he does the opposite. And the, the spirit of the devil tells you, you're not a child of God. You're not a believer. Look at you. You sorry soul. What state you're in. Did you sin yesterday? Did you sin this afternoon? Did you have that lustful thought or that prideful thought? Oh, that prideful remark you made of just boasting and bragging about yourself. You call yourself a Christian and he wants you to focus on your sin and on yourself and he wants to draw your attention away from Jesus so that you will not confess your sin but rather sit and have a little pity party. Poor me, I am so such a wretch. Instead of running to the Savior and saying, help me, help me. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. And he embraces you and he forgives you. The devil wants you to keep you from your father. He wants to keep you from prayer. To cry, Abba, Father. And then also what the devil does is he brings blasphemous thoughts into your head. So there you are, minding your own business, not thinking about anything bad 
And then this thought comes into your mind where you curse God. Or you, you feel the risings of rebellion in your heart against God. And you think, where does that come from? And you think, this is horrible. I don't want these thoughts in my head. And then the devil comes. Yeah, you're blaspheming God. You call yourself a Christian. You've committed the unpardonable sin. You've committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. You can never be forgiven. You knew the truth. You knew what is right. And now you blaspheme. You call him your father. You're not a child of God. Like a man in Martin Lloyd-Jones. says ministry. So this day, uh, the son... A young man comes to Lloyd-Jones and he says, please, please, you must help my father. He's outside waiting in the car. He's in a terrible state. And so he invites the man in and this man comes. He can't even sit. He's walking up and down in Lloyd-Jones' study and he's really pulling out, pulling the hair from his head, pulling out his own hair. And what had happened was this man got saved during a revival in Wales in 1904 and 1905. Great Welsh revival. And then he was saved from a life of drunkenness <coughs> and other bad things that he had done. And then he turned back to that life. Many years later, he, he, he started backsliding. You know how it happens. You stop reading your Bible and you stop praying and then you stop going to church and it just goes from bad to worse. And then you, you start compromising with sin, just little sins and then bigger things and bigger things. Anyway, this was the man's case. And then he said... And he's been to doctors and then he went to psychiatrists and they told him he's got religious mania. They put him in a mental institution and he booked himself. He just left, went because he couldn't find help. And so now he ends up in front of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Lloyd-Jones starts, and, and he says he desperately wants forgiveness, but he can't because he knows now that, and the devil has told him this, that, he knew the truth and he, he sinned against the light and he sinned against the Holy Spirit and this poor soul. And so Lloyd-Jones starts telling him, he says, so you really want forgiveness? Desperately, but I can't find it. And, and he said, well, you've not committed the unpardonable sin, let me tell you that. Because if you did, you would be so hardened against God and have no interest in God. You want to be forgiven. Can you give me any verse in the Bible where someone wants forgiveness and God says, I won't give it to you? Oh, this man really wanted it. And Lloyd-Jones, for about 40 minutes, just shares the promises of God. One passage, one Bible, verse after the other. And the man calms down and calmly eventually sits down. And he's got such peace. And Lloyd-Jones warns him. He says, the devil's going to come again. And sure as, sure as you know, the devil came again. And a week later, the man's back, back in his study, pacing up and down again. Lloyd-Jones shares more promises, more Bible, more Bible, more Bible. Guy calms down. And this goes on for about uh, three or four times. And eventually the guy comes to peace with God. He's restored. He's forgiven. And he lives a stable Christian life. So it's the devil. It's the devil who tells you, you're not a Christian. Call yourself a Christian. And he, and he brings uh, doubt. And, and when you doubt, you start doubting. What does he do? Well, he makes it even worse. Oh, so you, that, you know what that's called? That's called unbelief. So you say, I'm a believer, but that's unbelief. I don't think so. And then he throws all your sin in front to your face. He throws it in your face, your sin of the past, the bad things you've done. And he says, you will not be saved. You are unsaved. Do you want to stand and withstand the onslaughts of the devil and the attacks of the devil and the temptations of the devil? You want to withstand that? Well, let me tell you how. You remind the devil and you remind yourself of Zechariah 13 verse 1. In that day there shall be opened a fountain unto Zion, a fountain to the people of Israel, to Jerusalem. And I will cleanse them of all their sins and uncleannesses. Jesus is that fountain filled with blood. A fountain filled with blood drawn from the veins of Christ. And we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then you use the sword of the Spirit, the Bible. And you bring the promises of God to bear. You do what Jesus did when Satan tempted him. It is written. It is written. It is written. And promises like verse 33 and 34. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You can't condemn me. I've already been set free. God's court has already said, not guilty. Because Jesus stands in my place. He's my advocate. He's my lawyer. I trust in him. I entrust my whole life to Him. 
There lies my hope. You remind yourself that God has forgiven you in Christ for all those who turn to Him. You remind yourself that Jesus lives forever to pray for you in heaven. He's your representative. He stands in your place. You remind yourself of the promise that God will remember their sins no more. I already quoted that, Hebrews 10, 17. And then you believe verse 15b. God has given you a spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit tells you, you are a son of God. Now you say, well, what about the daughters? Because it only says sons. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18. They shall be called my sons, the sons and daughters of God. So daughters are included, but the reason, the reason Paul uses sons is because the son will continue the family name. Uh, so when Deirdre married me, I didn't become Ivor Arday. She became Deirdre Jeffries. Sunay Stander, not Jean-Dre van Avestazen. Okay? So the, the son continues the family name. He bears, it, bears forth the family name, perpetuates that, and then the son receives the inheritance. So that's why Paul says sons, and then you can see it actually includes women too, because in verse 16, what does it say? Sons. What does your Bible say in verse 16? Children. Okay. So children of God. That would include women. So actually we can say that Marina is a son of God. Although she's a woman, just like I can say, Kuis is the bride of Christ. Just as I can say, Ansi is a sheep. One of the Lord's sheep. Right. So we can use those metaphors. Um, so even women then, men and women, all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are... Sorry. Are sons of God. Children of God. The Holy Spirit of adoption, it says we have received that spirit. The spirit of adoption comes and he lives inside of you. He dwells in you permanently. John 14 verse 17. He will be with you and in you and with you forever. So he's in us forever. Lives in us. Verse 9 said we have received the spirit of Christ. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. So we belong to him because the spirit of adoption is in us. And it's that Holy Spirit that tells you verse 16. What does verse 16 say? Have you got your Bible? What does the Spirit do? Bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit tells you, Ilza, before God made the world, He predestined you for adoption in Christ, in the Beloved. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says that. Go and read it. So the Holy Spirit tells you, you belong to God. God is your Father. And that goes for every believer. How did God adopt us? Galatians 4, I read it earlier, verse 4 and 5, where it says that at the right time when God decided Christ was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, that's us, who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Jesus came to this world to save us from our sins so that we can be adopted into God's family. How do you receive that adoption, that spirit of adoption? By faith. Galatians 3 verse 26. As many as believe in Christ are sons of God. And then John 1 verse 12. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. This they are not of themselves, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but born of God. So it's God who brings you the Holy Spirit, gives you new life, and we believe in Jesus and we are adopted into the family of God. What a great privilege. That shows God's love for you. Imagine that. Imagine that. God adopts the children of the devil. John 8 verse 44, you are children of your father, the devil, Jesus says to those who do not believe in him. We were children of Satan. And God saves us from the power of the enemy. And he adopts us as his own. Behold what manner of love the father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. And this we are. The world doesn't acknowledge us because they didn't acknowledge Christ. 
But now we are the children of God. And what we are has not yet become clear. But when Jesus appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. What a great love that God has adopted us into his family. What happens, Jennifer, the moment you are adopted into God's family? So you become part of God's family. God places you. If you say you're part of God's family, what are you part of? Who's God's family? The church. Thank you, Jennifer. <laughs> yes. You are part of God's family, the church, the moment you are adopted. You've been baptized into the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. The Spirit now places you in the household of God. Ephesians 2 verse 22. And 1 Timothy 3 verse 15 says the church is the household of God. Now I'm not saying that church membership saves you. You're not saved because you're a member of a church. What I am saying is if God has adopted you, you will be part of a family. You are automatically part of that family so that Jesus can say, who's my brother? Who's my sister? Who's my mother? It's these people here who do the will of my father. They're my sister, my brother, and my mother. And so we can say of one another, I can say Jenna, Jenna is my sister. I can say Leon is my brother. And Tani Runel is my oldest, oldest sister. <laughs> so, so these are our brothers and sisters, and we have one father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what do we then say about Christians? They get saved, they live in North Korea, or they live in Af Afghanistan. So they get converted, and a week after they're saved, they get arrested and put into prison. So now they've never tasted the joy that we sang, our, oh, our good it is uh, when the family of God, to be part of this family. They've never tasted that joy, so how... How do we think about cases like that? What do you think about Christians like Spurgeon's wife? He's the pastor of a church. She gets sick, sick when she's about 32 or 33 years old. For the rest of her husband's ministry, she can't go to church because she's so sick. She's always in bed. What do you say about people like that? What do we say about Tani Gwen Brevere? She, was a she is a member of this church still. She used to come. She's very sprightly, very sparkly, very friendly lady. She can't be with us. What do we say about Tani Luki who can't be here anymore? So they're part of the family, but are they not part of the family? I want to tell you about such people. They really have a desire. They really have a desire to be, to be with, with this family. That's in their heart. They are in their heart at least, like Paul. He couldn't be with them. He said, I'm with you in spirit. My heart is with the family of God. So there's something that the Holy Spirit places inside of a Christian. You've got this longing to be with other Christians. You've got this, this bond of unity that we sung of in Ephesians 4 verse 3, that the, the bond of peace, the bond of the Spirit, the, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4 verse 3. And so we've got one Savior, Jesus Christ, one Lord, one Father and one God, one Spirit. And so it's three persons, but only one God. And that unity between the, the persons of the Trinity, that's our pattern. That is our, our map to show this is what you should be like. That now we are also different people. You and I, Amelia, we've got very different interests. But we are one in Christ because we belong to the same family, Jeremy. We're one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for the Christians in prison, They've got exactly that. For the Christians who are on a sick bed or in an old age home and they can't be or in a frail care, it's in their hearts. They are with the believers. We are one. And then also, you continue, verse 15. At the end it says, By this spirit of adoption we cry, Abba, Father. So you've got a spirit of prayer also. The Holy Spirit, any Christian, immediately there's something. The moment you get saved, you want to talk to your father. It's like a baby crying for its mother or a baby crying for its parents. And so the, the Christian cries out. The child of God cries out, Abba, Father. And so you pray. What's one of the very first things Paul did when he got saved? God said to Ananias, Jesus said to him, go to Paul, he, Saul of Tarsus. He's at that and that house and you'll meet him there. And he said, no, no, that guy persecuted. No, no. 
He's not a persecutor of Christians anymore. He's now a saved man. Look, he's praying. Acts 9 verse 11. <laughs> he's praying. Because the moment the spirit of adoption comes, you cry out to your father. Verse 26 and 27 also, you see the spirit leading us in prayer. Zechariah 12 verse 10, God gives us a spirit of grace and a spirit of prayer. Please for mercy, supplication. Ephesians 2 verse 18, it's uh, Jews and Gentiles, both of us now come in one spirit through Christ to the Father. So it's the spirit who leads us to pray through the Lord Jesus to our heavenly Father. Ephesians 6 verse 18, we must pray in the Holy Spirit. So it's that spirit who teaches us to pray. Can unbelievers pray? Can unbelievers pray to the Father? Can they say those words? Can they pray in the name of Jesus? They can say they do. But you see, when do, when do unbelievers pray? When they're in trouble. Or when they're in public. Oh God. Oh, big words, fancy words like the Pharisees in the synagogues and on the street corners. But it's different with us. When do we pray? Oh, we live a life of prayer, I hope. We live a life of prayer. We talk to God often, not only in worship services, but even behind closed doors where no one sees you but God. Jesus told us that in Matthew 6, verse 6. You shut your door, you go into your room, you pray in private to your, God who's, your, your Father in heaven who sees in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So you've got a life of prayer. And it's a, it's a relationship, this, where we pray, Our Father in heaven... This is a relationship. Your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask Him. Why pray? God knows everything. He knows what you're going to ask. Why pray? Because you're a child of God. And He's your Father. You want to spend time with Him. So pray urgently. Pray with deep emotion. This is the word in verse 15 where it says, We cry out. Abba, Father. That word cry. It's deep emotion. It's urgent. And then when it says Abba, that's from a Chaldee word. Actually, it's Aramaic, but the Aramaic apparently comes from a Chaldee or a, Syri a Syriac word. Where we cry out, it's, it's really the Holy Spirit showing you you're a little child. God is your strong Father, your mighty Father, your compassionate Father, your loving Father. You need Him for everything. you little. He is big. And that is why you cry out, verse 15, Abba, Father. That word Abba actually means Father, as you know. So it's a, very, it's a very intimate word. This is an intimate, personal relationship. There's a, there's a holy boldness in prayer where we can, we can come to our Father and say, Father, I need your help. I'm in a crisis. Or Father, give praise to you, all glory to you, thanksgiving. Thank you for answering my prayer for my mother or for... Uh, my work situation, or whatever. So it's personal, it's intimate, there's boldness, and you want to honor Him as your Father. And that we find in Malachi 1 verse 6, where God says, if I am a Father, where's my honor? You must respect me. And so we as Christians, we call to our Father, yes, very intimately, but very respectfully. He is God and we are not. Isn't this how Jesus prayed? Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? When Jesus prayed, what words did he say when he addressed his father? Abba, Father. Mark 14, verse 36. Anyone who prays like Jesus, and he prays from a heart like Jesus, if you do that, you are a child of God. Where else did that desire come from to have God as your father and to really talk to him? If you speak to God in this way and it comes from the heart, you have the spirit of adoption. Because it's He who causes you to cry out, Abba, Father. May I ask you? Are you a child of God? Do you have the spirit of adoption? Do you call out like that? You want to talk to your Father? Well, then the Holy Spirit tells you, verse 16, He bears witness with your spirit. You are a child of God. You're a child of God. And then he tells you, if God is your father, that means God has compassion on you. And especially for the Tani, <laughs> because she's been through some, some difficulties with her health. 
that the, the, the Holy Spirit assures you God is your Father. As a father has compassion on his children, so God has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 103 verse 13. And he will supply all your needs, all your needs. Amanda is not here this evening, but Amanda lost her job. Amanda, if you're watching online, God tells you, the Holy Spirit tells you, God is your father and a father cares for his children. He will supply your needs. And that father, well, their promises like Matthew 7 verse 11, who of you have been praying for things for some months or maybe some years and you still haven't seen the answer? How much more will your father in heaven not give good things to those who ask him? Your father will answer. Keep on praying. Number three, the third ministry of the Spirit is assurance. Assurance. Verse 16, Seekerate. I remember the late Errol Hulse, a South African uh, pastor who lived in England for about 60 years. And Errol Hulse, he preached in this church once, he preached in Leon's old church a number of times. And Errol Hulse told us in this church during a sermon, he was preaching on how can you be sure you're saved. And he said, if you grow up as a pastor's kid, you might have difficulties believing you're saved. Especially if you grow up in a strong Christian home, then you might think, but how do I know? I mean, I've heard these things my whole life. I can tell the gospel like this. I know it. And I'm not living an immoral life, an evil, wicked life. How do I know that I'm really a Christian? I've really been saved. And so kids in the man sometimes struggle with that. So how do you know? How do you know? The Holy Spirit of adoption is in you. And you're a child of God. Well, he tells you, verse 16... The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So ask yourself this question. Do you do verse 15? Do you acknowledge, I'm dependent on God, I need God, I need my Father for everything. Do you live in dependence? Not just say it. Do you live dependently upon God? Do you show your dependence by praying regularly? To, saying, I'm, to say, I need you, Father. And live in a relationship with Him. It's not enough for you to say, God is my Father and I am His child. Are there unbelievers who say that? Oh, there are many unbelievers who say, God is my Father and I am a child of God. And their conscience is deceiving them. Because they're going to hear that at the last day where Jesus says, I never knew you. When they say, but Lord, Lord, we did miracles in your name and all that kind of stuff. And then there are Christians and their spirit deceives them. Their conscience deceives them. Their conscience tells them, you're not a Christian. But they are. 1 John 3 verse 20. That God is greater than our conscience. He's greater than our heart. So you need something more than your conscience. We need the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. Who testifies, who bears witness with your spirit. To tell you you're a child of God. How does the Holy Spirit do that? How does the Spirit bear witness to tell you you're a child of God? Let me tell you how He doesn't do it. Don't think you're a Christian because you got goosebumps. I went to the service and I got goosebumps, man. It was like electricity running down my spine and it became really warm in my chest. And so I know the Spirit is inside of me. And I started crying and I don't even know why. Or maybe I heard a voice in my ears. Why is that not enough? Why is that not enough to show you you're a child of God? That kind of experience. You know why? Because the devil can imitate that. He's a copycat. It's too easy. The devil can do that. He can appear as an angel of light. I said to you earlier. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14. And if you say, Oh, this is how I know the Spirit has told me I'm a child of God because of this goosebumps and and all the fuzzy feeling in my chest and I got a lump in my throat and started crying. Well, what about the Christian who didn't experience that? What about the Christian who didn't feel the electricity in his spine? Is he now not a Christian? And then you get Christians who start doubting their salvation because they didn't have that experience. So we need something more. What the Holy Spirit does, first of all, He gives you an objective test. 
Something that is solid, rock solid, you can test yourself. He gives you certain tests in the Bible. And you can go to those Bible verses and test yourself. Measure up against, do I measure up against these? And so you can know you're a child of God. Let me just ask you this question. Who inspired this book? The Holy Spirit. He inspired the preachers. He inspired the words. And so if the Holy Spirit, if this is the Spirit-inspired Word of God, then the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit through this word, using this word. So you measure yourself against verses like the following. And then you can know, does the spirit live inside of you or not? Verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit live, uh, set their minds according to the things, or on the things of the spirit. Where's your mind? Is your mind set on the word of God? On I want to live obedient. I hate this sin. Is your life set on, I want to obey the Spirit? I want to obey the Word? What about verse 13? Do you see that in your life? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But if you live according to the flesh, it said in the beginning, you will die. So are you killing sin in your life? And then do you see verse 14? Is the Spirit leading you in obedience? Do you see verse 15? Do you cry out, Abba, Father? Do you see verse 15? You live a life of prayer. Maybe not as much as you like, but certainly there's prayer and God is your Father and you love to talk to Him. Do you see Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23? The fruit of the Spirit in your life. Do you see that? Love. Love for God. Joy in God. Peace with God. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Yes, not perfectly, but you see that in your life. You see you're busy growing. And maybe not from yesterday to today. Who of you saw Timothy grow from um, last Sunday to this Sunday? Oh no, not me. Me neither. But did you see Timothy grow from three years ago to now? Oh yes. And that's how the Christian life is. You see, oh, the Lord has been working in me. Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life and increasing? Are you disciplined by God when you sin? Does God make it hard for you? And bring some difficulties into your life. Discipline. That's proof you're a child of God. If you weren't a child of God, God would have left you without discipline. It says Hebrews 12, verse 68. Go and read it. So this is proof that you're saved. And then, do you believe the truth about Jesus? Who brought that to your heart? Do you trust in Christ? Who brought that to your heart? 1 John 2. Go and read 1 John, the three tests there. Do you love other Christians? Do you love being with other Christians? Do you hate sin and love obedience? All of those things in 1 John. Proof that you're a child of God. Let me just read to you two verses in 1 John. Chapter 3, verse 23. This is God's commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. By this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. The Spirit shows those things to you. You love other Christians. He works in your heart to love other Christians and want to be with Him. He works in your heart to believe in Christ and to obey Christ and love Christ. Chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And what does that Spirit do? Well, just read the surrounding verses. Love other Christians, believe in the Lord Jesus, and so on. So that's the objective, the objective measuring stick. That's the objective test to help some of you sitting here this evening who think you are saved because you feel saved, but you're not living like a Christian. Then you must ask yourself, am I saved? You're probably not. Don't go according to your feelings. And this, I hope, will help some of you, the objective test of the Word, will help some of you sitting here tonight saying, I don't feel like a Christian. But those tests are in your life. You're living like one. Then you are one. Stop trusting your feelings. And start trusting the Word of God. The promises of God. But, the Holy Spirit also bears witness with your spirit subjectively. Subjectively speaking of your emotions, your affections, your mind, and so on. Sometimes, the Holy Spirit gives you a heightened sense 
a heightened sense of the love of God. A heightened sense reminding you it's like, it's like uh, one of the Puritans, I think it was Thomas Goodwin said, it's like you're walking with your father in, on the pavement and you know that's my dad. But then he bends toward you and he picks you up and he hugs you and he gives you a kiss. That is special. So the objective tests, you know you're a child of God, measure yourself against the word. But sometimes he bends over and he kisses you. He picks you up and he hugs you. He embraces you and he holds you close to him. Ephesians 3 verse 16 to 19 where Paul prays and he says that God, according to the riches of his glory, might grant you to be strengthened by His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell, dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to understand, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. you flooded with peace. you flooded with joy. you flooded with the love of God. And that's the Spirit doing that. The Spirit working in you, showing you, you are mine. And that's verse 16, the Spirit bearing witness with your spirit. It's like uh, Revelation 2 verse 17. It's you have this little white stone that he gives to you. And it's got a name written on it, your new name. But only you and Jesus knows that name. You know that name. It's like there's a special something with you, with every one of his children. And he assures you of that, you are mine. You are mine. It's almost like a jasmine. Deirdre planted jasmine in our garden. And you know the, the fragrance of jasmine flowers? And so when it's blooming time and it's, it's, it's covered in blossoms, and so uh, probably not blossoms, let's say flowers. I think blossoms and it brings fruit. <laughs> but anyway, so all these flowers, or the yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and it's, it's a wonderful, it's a lovely fragrance that fills the spring air. <sighs> and then there are no more flowers. The flowers die. Mm. Now the plant is dead because there are no flowers. Is the plant dead? It's not dead. It's still alive. And that's what I mean here. You go by the objective tests of the word. You're still alive. You're still a child of God, even though there are no flowers at the moment. But sometimes the Holy Spirit brings the flowers, the sweet fragrance of the love of God for you. God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit He has given to us. Romans 5 verse 5. And He just reminds you very specially and very closely and very personally and very intimately, you're a child of God. It's like he whispers into your soul, you belong to Jesus. God is your father. You are mine. Number four, finally, inheritance. That's another ministry of the Spirit in verse 17. I didn't actually know what to call this. So I just called it erfinus, inheritance. You know what I inherited from a man in our church when he died? He used to sit right there behind Charles and Lazelle every Sunday with Andres Rousseau. And when he died, I inherited five rands. 4,500 rand worth of five rands. <laughs> he said, that must go to the pastor. <laughs> yes. So I inherited something. This, I think it's the only time in my life. Jesus, what I'm trying to tell you is that the woman had to die before I got the five rands. Jesus had to die so we can inherit. So ons kan erf die erf He's the one who wrote the final will and testament. Hebrews 9 verse 16 and 17, he had to die. Where do I get that? In our text, verse 17. If children, then heirs, erfgename. So what do you get? What did Jesus, why did he die? So you can inherit what? 
Yeah, heaven, but there's something else. There's something much bigger than heaven. It's in verse 17. Did you see that? What do you inherit? What are you? It's in verse 17. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, what do you inherit? Almost. You're a co-heir with Christ. God. You inherit God. That's the inheritance. You get God as your father. God is your father and you are his child. That's why Jesus died. For many other reasons, but that's a great reason. And the Holy Spirit tells you that. <laughs> the Holy Spirit whispers, you're a child of God. God is your father. Jesus died for this purpose. Revelation 21 verse 7 this will be the inheritance. They will have this as their inheritance. I will be their God and they will be my sons. Let me tell you this. If you've inherited God, then everything is yours because everything belongs to Him. The universe is yours. He created it all from Him, through Him, to Him, all things. Everything belongs to our God. Everything exists in God. And the Holy Spirit, a step further, a step further, the Holy Spirit assures you, you inherit all these things with Christ. Imagine that. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. It says so in verse 17, you are fellow heirs with Christ. And Galatians 4 verse 7, I read earlier, says we will receive this inheritance. What does Jesus own? Well, Jesus... Because he's God and created everything, he's the heir of everything. He's the erfgenaam van alles, van alle dinge. Hebrews 1 verse 2 says that. And so Jesus inherits that, but, well, belongs to him. But even as man, Jesus got everything because of his merit, because of his life. He deserves everything. God gives it to him. He earned it through his life, death, and resurrection. And so even as a man, all things have been given to him. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. Matthew 28 verse 18. As a man, not only as God as creator, as our king, as our Lord, all things have been put under his feet and he has been given as head over all to the church. This is Ephesians 1. How do you get that inheritance? Get married to Jesus. Jesus the bridegroom, we the bride. So you believe in Jesus Christ, and then you inherit Christ. You inherit God as your Father. You inherit the Holy Spirit. You inherit heaven. You inherit the universe. You inherit everything. Belongs to you by virtue of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17 again. And look again. Is of God, fellow, is with Christ. Come, come. You blessed of my Father. Come into the kingdom. Inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, verse 34. What about 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Oh, you're going to like this one, I think. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21 to 23. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos, Cephas, the world, life, death, the present, the future... All things are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. That's what the Holy Spirit tells you. Right inside your soul. He tells you, look forward to that day. It's already yours. It's being managed for you. But you're going to get it all. And I almost want to say, who cares about the universe? We got God. And He makes you long for this. And he, and he makes you long for the day when Jesus will return and He will raise you from the dead. And verse 23, you will receive adoption as sons. Oh, you've already received it, but now it's all being given to you. You're old enough now. <laughs> wow. Wow. And you just look at Galatians 5 verse 5 where it also speaks of the Holy Spirit given to us. 
And then Paul writes these words, For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That hope, that hope when we will be with Jesus. It's the Spirit who places it inside of you. Anyone who has the Spirit of adoption living in him or her will desire that. Sometimes it will be a forest fire. Such a big desire. Just burning. Sometimes it will just be a spark. But there is fire. It is life. The spirit of adoption is inside you, giving you that thirst, that yearning to see God. Some of you might still be in doubt after all that God has told you tonight through his word. And you're a Christian. You see the objective test, but you're still doubting. Let me just ask you this question. Is there inside of you a longing I wish I can be sure of my salvation. I wish I can be certain that I'm saved, that I won't, that I'll stop doubting like this. Is that in you? Let me ask you, where does that come from? Who places that inside of you? To say, I want to know God is my Father, Abba Father. You've just said it. Do you have a longing? I just want to be sure the Spirit is in me. I want more of God. Well, if you got that desire, you think you're an unbeliever? You think unbelievers desire such things? That's the spirit of adoption. You're a child of God. Some people think they don't have the spirit of adoption because everything's just going wrong in my life. And it's like one thing upon another, trial upon trial. And since I follow Jesus, it's just people, my family is just pushed me aside. They want nothing to do with me. At work, people are mocking me because I want to do what is right. I can't be a child of God. And you get those poor Christians in persecuted countries and they're sitting there thinking God has forgotten about them. I'm not saying all of them. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Some of them think God has forgotten me. I'm probably not a child of God. Look at me. Just sitting here. I haven't seen a Bible in four years. And... uh, No one writes me. No one visits me in prison. I can't be a Christian. What does verse 17 say about such Christians? What does that suffering for Christ prove? Look at verse 17. You've got the Bible open. That proves they're Christians. The suffering. The fact that they keep on suffering for Jesus, the Spirit is telling them, you are a child of God. And the Holy Spirit comes to such And he fills them at times with such joy, such peace. It is indescribable. They cannot describe what the Spirit has just done. It is wonderful. The God of hope filling them with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they abound in hope. It's just like their heart bursts longing to be with Jesus. Where Paul is in prison, rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. He continues a few verses down and he said, And the God of peace will be with you. And the peace of God will be with you. The peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And they're so flooded with peace. And they know, even they're in prison, they've got no Bible. They've got no objective test. And maybe they didn't even memorize verses. Or they were a Christian for two weeks and they got arrested. Now they're sitting in prison. How can they have assurance? There's no objective test. Well, then the Spirit comes subjectively. And He tells them in their spirit, you're a child of God. Almost I'll close with this. Like Haralan Popov. Haralan Popov in Bulgaria, sitting in prison, I think for 13 years, if I remember correctly. And so this poor man, he's so, so discouraged. He's being tortured. And so he's in solitary confinement. For 10 days. Nee, niemand bij je. You want to go crazy. You can't, don't know is it day or night. You can't tell the time. And so he's in solitary confinement for 10 days. At least he could tell the time because he could see out the window. And one day, he looks out the window and he sees on the building opposite the prison, on the building roof, he sees a cross the shadow of a cross. And it was two buildings, two factories, that side, and when the sun was setting, it caught the chimneys of the two factories, one there and one there, I don't know how, and they crossed. And it made the shape of a cross to remind him, you're suffering for Christ. You're a child of God. 
Verse 17. Don't think because you're suffering, you're not a Christian. God has forgotten you. That proves you're a child of God. And the Spirit tells you that in your heart. Isn't that to what He has called us? Isn't that what we read in 1 Peter 2? For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. And by that the Holy Spirit tells you, you're a, you're a true child of God. Father, thank you for adopting us into your family and for giving us the spirit of adoption. And I pray for my dear brothers and sisters, those doubters sitting here this evening, always wondering, am I really saved? Will you testify with their spirit through your Spirit-inspired Word, that they are the children of God. And even subjectively, in their souls, in their emotions, would you remind them that they have been bought with the blood of Christ, they belong to God. And for those who are not part of the family of God yet, O oh Lord, will you bring them in and give them the privilege of adoption too. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.